0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Today we are reading from James 2, 1 to 13, so you might want to turn in your Bible and read along with us. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you have shown special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? My dear brothers and sisters, listen to me. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the world's eyes to be rich in faith? Hasn't he chosen them to receive the kingdom? Hasn't he promised it to those who love him? But you have disrespected poor people. Aren't rich people taking advantage of you? Aren't they dragging you into court? Aren't they speaking evil things against the worthy name of Jesus? Remember, you belong to him. The royal law is found in scripture. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you really keep this law, you're doing what is right. But you sin if you don't treat everyone the same. The Lord judges you because you have broken it. Suppose you keep the whole law, but trip over just one part of it, then you are guilty of breaking it all. God said, do not commit adultery. He also said, do not commit murder. Suppose you don't commit adultery, but you do commit murder, then you have broken the law. Speak and act like people who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Those who have not shown mercy will not receive mercy when they are judged. To show mercy is better than to judge. Hi that was our amazing site leaders and um as you uh, as, as we kind of go into a close of this time together it doesn't close the idea is that you're going to continue to connect into community by going to one of our sites and to be able to meet and connect with one of those fantastic people and other people who go together into our sites or if you're brand new to all this and especially if you if you kind of not even sure yet whether or not you are a christian but are interested Then we have another one with a wonderful couple called luke and laura and they'll be able to connect with you too so that's the options um, when this doesn't finish because this continues into something else but right now it's my job is to help us to look at the bible help us to be able to hear what god we believe says to us through this amazing book and we're, we're in a study of the the bible's book called james it's just a letter in the bible Um, It was written by this guy called James. We'll talk more about who he is. And you can watch the previous ones in the last couple of weeks to be able to catch up. And if you join one of our Grow Groups, you can dig even deeper in the week into this and find out more about this amazing uh, teaching that's transforming so many lives. Uh, As we continue the study today, we've seen that he's been talking about trials and temptations and troubles and tests, and how all these things can actually be used by God in some way that as God helps us he will bring us through them into something new that he's got for us but today James kind of switches it and wants us not just think about how God can help us but about our responsibility to be able to help other people too and he wants us to see that how we treat people particularly people who we perceive as different from us and particularly those perhaps of a a different social or economic status than our own that that can um help uh, can can really hinder us from being the person that god calls us to be in the world do we care about people like god cares about us and that we would want him to care for us because if we don't care about them chances are we're never going to care for them. So we're going to look at that today. But to kick us off, um, I want us to see that we all make judgments at times. We all do. You're kind of judging me and looking and thinking, does that shirt go with the background? Uh, You're kind of thinking, oh, you know, we're always kind of looking at each other and making these judgments all the time. But the Bible says it makes no difference to God, whether we're young or old, whether you you have a very high level of education or not, whether you are famous in the world or or an unknown in, in various ways, he wants to know you. He wants you to come to know him so that he can love you and that you, filled up with that love, can go and share it with the world that he loves. God doesn't love you any more or less according to the color of your eyes or the color of your skin or the color of your hair. He's not bothered about the clothes on your body. Uh, or your shape, or your size. He's not impressed by the car that you drive, by the jewellery that you wear, by the fashion that you present to the world. He doesn't care, really, if you've got more degrees than a thermometer. He's not impressed by any of that. Let's look at a couple of Bible verses that show that from the Old Testament. In Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7 says, With the Lord our God, there is no injustice or partiality partiality that word means favoritism it means uh, judging people differently in an unfair way Uh, of course we treat people as individuals and god does that with us we're we're his children but in the same way as i've got children and they have all got differences uh, and i may treat them in that sense differently that doesn't mean i should be treating any of them unfairly based upon that Uh, we love we're meant to love people all the same even though we're all different again Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17 underlines it the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great mighty and awesome who shows no partiality It's part of how great he is is that our God does not show partiality the old King James version translates these verses as he is no respecter of persons which doesn't mean that God doesn't have respect for people in that sense that's not what the old word basically means he, he doesn't um, rank us in some way or give us uh, you know uh, according to how, how high or how low we are like other people might judge people on some kind of ladder of how important they are that, that's not anywhere in terms of our God Some newer versions of this would translate this as God does not play favorites Remember some of us remember the prophet Samuel one time was told by God to go out and find somebody who would be the next king of Israel and he ended up going to a family and they, they, They got them all and they rated them from the oldest and the tallest right the way down to the youngest and the smallest and actually he wasn't even there David had been left out and yet God called him in and picked him. And and then the, the prophet was told this, and we really do well to remember it. People judge by outward appearances. That's just the truth. That's what happens. People look at the outward appearance, but God sees hearts. God sees what you cannot see and what I cannot see. This is why we need the spiritual gift of discernment to be able to see what's really going on below-the-surface presentation. So God found David, who was the shortest, the least qualified, the youngest out of all of the brothers. And God said, this is a man after my own heart. And he said, one day he's going to be the king. So you actually, you can look through the Bible, and, and it won't be able to be long before you start to see how God specializes in picking people who everybody else would leave out. The people who would be written off as the unworthy or the outcasts or the the left-behinds, it seems like God actually goes out of his way to include them and to exalt them when they are humble. It says that he resists the proud, but he exalts the humble. God picks people that nobody else would pick or people that others might, might rule themselves out or even we might rule ourselves out and think that well, we're not worthy, but God wants to rule us in. Um, this, this week, if you're on our, our email list for knowing what the news is going on, here at Ivy, and I encourage you to please, to get that, to, to, uh, you know, add yourself to our contact list, then we can let you know what's going on. On Friday, 9am, we're starting this amazing thing called Today. It was an idea that only came to us in the last couple of weeks, and we've been running like crazy to try and get it pulled together. But it's basically like a 24-hour virtual mission, where I've been able to contact some of the the world's most best-known evangelists, incredible people with incredible gifts. And we've asked them, would you come and release your gift of sharing the good news in ways that people can understand it? And give us a video, and we're gonna showcase these stories of life change and then incredible evangelists are going to be able to share the good news and invite people to come and follow Jesus. We've got over 50 of these people who have already been sending in their videos. Some of them, you'll, if, you're, if you're a Christian, you may have already heard of them. If you're not, um, it won't matter to you. But it's people like a guy called Jay John and Christine Kane, who's amazing, and Danielle Strickland. And we've got our own from Ivy, Andy Hawthorne and Lynn's West and our site leaders and various other people. We're going to be telling stories of how Jesus has changed our lives And then inviting people to have their lives changed by him too. So, you know, there was all kinds of things when that idea came that would have put me off from having a go. But but I I said, let's let's start something and see what happens. And it seems like God is really behind this thing. It's going to be incredible. So for you, what I'd love you to do is keep an eye on our Facebook page and on all of our other social media outlets this week. Because we need you to help us to share this good news. Imagine that you could, while people are locked in, while people are wondering about hope and future and death and what comes after it and all that, that if you could just confidently point them to something that's running all day and say there's this amazing thing on. And you know, whenever they click on it, they're going to hear a life transforming message that could change their lives forever. That's what we're hoping that this is going to be about. That You'll be able to just share it, go on your Facebook page. But the best thing would be, it's going to be on hell on YouTube we need you to do something called subscribing to YouTube, where you just simply give in your email address into YouTube, and then you get subscribed to a YouTube channel that we ask you to do. If we get a thousand of these, it opens up the possibility of us being able to really reach the whole world in ways we couldn't do if we get less. So we need you to sign up. Even afterwards, you can take yourself off it, it's fine. But we'll tell you how to do that later in the week and share it with other people. Put it. Would Tell your friends this is an amazing thing that's happening. I'm watching this thing, and you can watch it too. See, we judge by what we see, but God looks at people's hearts, and only God knows what's really going on inside of a person. You might think that person isn't looking for God when they're so desperate and looking for him right away, and he's already preparing their hearts for this week, and he wants to draw millions of people. He's actually doing it right now in this season when so many people are desperate and and looking for hope, and are actually praying, googling prayer, praying to a God that they don't know the name of, and we want them to connect with Jesus Christ. Then they'll get an answer to that prayer. So let's get back into what the reading has to say. Let's look into James chapter 2, verse 1. It starts off like this, my brothers and sisters. I'm going to come back to that, but you're going to notice as you go through James, how often he says this, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters. So who are his brothers and sisters right now? It it carries on. Believers, that's who brothers and sisters are. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Favoritism or partiality there, the roots of the word means to lift up somebody's face, to elevate them, to judge by somebody's face, at face value, I suppose you could say. A superficial evaluation that you base somebody's worth upon what you think and especially what what they look like to you. He says that to show favoritism like that is absolutely incompatible now with being a follower of Jesus Christ. In verse nine, later on, he actually said, if you do that, you break the most important law of God. Wow. Who was James's half-brother? Jesus. He grew up with his older brother who was like perfect, jesus but he would have called him yeshua a hebrew family and uh, an ordinary name very ordinary name yeshua like what we get joshua from and james's name would be yakov and so this is an ordinary family judging by appearances and we don't know the birth order of this for sure but we do know that jesus was the oldest because he was born just to mary with god as the father but then we know and and, and mary would have treasured up those things that were special about jesus in, in her heart, we actually have that phrase that says that. She would remember how the angel Gabriel came to her and to Joseph too in a dream and how they were prepared for this amazing birth. And and, and then what, how those incredible visitors came and brought those beautiful, wonderful gifts that they that helped them and, and then how they were warned again to go to Egypt and to live there. And then they moved up to Galilee and that's when they started the rest of the family, um, including James and his brothers and his sisters who are mentioned in the Bible. So who do you think out of the family would be the favourite? See, I'm a middle child. Middle children always think they're the favourite. I think we may be right. (laughs) But this must have been tough, mustn't it, for Jesus growing up, especially when Jesus leaves home and Jacob's still there with the rest of the family. And then they get news about how Jesus is going around preaching and and doing miracles and healing people. But he's getting all kinds of opposition because people are saying he's the Messiah. And he's like, he's not the Messiah. He's our Jesus. It's like, why would we think our Jesus is the Messiah? And, And they go a couple of times and try and bring him back home and say, you know, everybody thinks you've gone crazy, Jesus. Come home and be with us. But listen, if you want to prove that you're God, the best way to do it would be to die and then rise again. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And then he appeared to James and, he, and, and that was what convinced James that Jesus was not just our kid. He's not just our kid. He is actually our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he refers to him as something incredible has changed. You see, when you get that, when you realize who Jesus is, it really helps you not to feel inferior. And, and superior to anybody else, which is actually the root behind why we end up making comparisons and picking favorites. It's insecurity in ourselves that causes us to be able to do that. But when you realize, that when you're just amazingly blessed that the most important person in the universe chooses you to be their friend, that should change everything inside of us. There's no room for insecurity when I realize and get that into my heart. I had a dream many years ago that shaped my life forever. I haven't got time to go into all of it, but in the dream, God appeared to me as this old, beautiful king, and that he invited me to go with him for a walk, and he He leaned out his arm, and I actually leaned upon it, and then we went into this garden, and in this garden, it was just beautiful. And we sat down together, and he said, the most important thing for me to do is to spend times like this with you. This is the most important thing in the world for me to do. And I can do this with you and you can do this with me anytime, anywhere. Now, at that time, I was just about getting ready to go and speak at some uh, festival where there were these well-known speakers. And this just helps completely with that. You know, that's what helps me to be able to write out to some of these people and connect with some of these people. And and it's people that it's not like, ooh, it's Jay John, ooh, it's Christine Kane. It's like, no, that's my brother. That's my sister. And Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my brother. Jesus is my savior. It's like, why should I be starstruck by anybody else? Anybody else, no matter who it is, is a very minor celebrity. He's the only star. He's the bright and morning star. So... James says, hey, brothers, sisters, stop playing favourites. Don't be impressed by some minor celebrity or somebody who comes in wearing fancy clothes or jewels that look nice. The most important VIP in the whole universe chose you to be his friend. You're invited forever into his family. Now, the outworking, if we get it, of that inward reality means we shouldn't go around judging by externals either. And he specifically says this can happen in your synagogues, in your gatherings. The word he uses there is it's the last time in the Bible the word synagogue is used. He's writing out to Jewish believers in Jesus. Remember, this was before opposition came and they got scattered until they could meet in homes and only at times higher buildings for larger gatherings. At times, as they were able to do that, but in synagogues, even in, in Orthodox synagogues now, even now, women sit on one side, men sit on the other. There's actually a curtain or a partition dividing the men and the women inside there and there are also seats of honor there are places graded in importance and people were sorted according to their rank and their status in society or as the religion saw them the holier ones so now imagine that you're in your synagogue you're saying and suddenly somebody pulls up on the la- in the, on the latest model camel outside and ties it up outside and then they walk in all blinged up They've got these dazzling clothes. He says literally, uh, imagine a gold-fingered man comes into your synagogue. And in times like that, there were actually ring businesses where you could hire rings so that you could look more impressive by putting lots of rings on your fingers and make a really good impression. The most ostentatious people in the ancient world at the time would put rings on every finger, even up to six rings on every finger, except the middle finger. They didn't put them in the middle fingers, but they would put them on their thumbs too. And it was all to all for show of how much wealth I have. So he comes in with gold fingers and literally the word for the clothes there is they are, they are bright and shining like a lamp. In other words, he's got flashy clothes on. Now, what do you do with this person when he comes in? Welcome him. Love him, accept him, treat him very, very well, give him the best hospitality. Why? Because God loves him. Because the outside doesn't matter. But God sees heart, and Jesus wants to change his heart and to live in his heart and help him to live from the inside out and not to be so bothered about what the externals look like. But what if I'm so dazzled by this guy who comes in, and I'm, I'm doing my best to look after him and, 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 and get him a really good seat that I miss, in fact, I don't even bother to look at this beggar who walks in, that's the word, the poor man is literally a beggar who comes in, who's got one piece of clothing is all that he's got on, and I say to him, actually, go and sit down over there, I'll watch out, and, and and I don't treat him, What? Well. see, there's nothing wrong with giving the first guy a good seat, a, literally an elevated seat, as long as you do the same to the poor man too. If I don't, if I if I'm judging by appearances, make, I'm making a pre-judgment about him, I have become prejudiced, prejudiced. I'm prejudged. And that and that's what's happened. A judge with evil intent, literally the word evil there is vicious. This is how bad it gets. I'm judging that the rich is better than the poor. But James says, no, that's really not on now. We're all one family. The building that I'm in is the Ivy Church building, the original one in Didsbury, built by a guy who was incredibly rich for his time, Oliver Brockbank, but his heart was for the poor, for the for the outcasts and for the people who weren't weren't able to go to the Anglican church up the road because they couldn't afford the pew rent to be able to sit in the pews. And so instead he started a church in a house and brought them into his home and started to gather those people in. And that's how this church began out of that generosity, not just of of money, but generosity of heart that wanted to bring people in. Now, notice another reason he gives that we should never prejudge like this. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world, God sees differently, to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? In other words, one day they're going to be a lot richer. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? See, we now live in a world where eight men own more than the poorest half of humanity. Our broken economic system, and this is getting worse in this current pandemic, have enabled 2,000 billionaires, this was two years ago, to, uh, to earn and own more than 4.6 billion who make up 60% of the world. 2,000 people own more than 60% of the world. Now, that's not to, be, to say that to be rich is necessarily bad or evil. The more you have, the more you have opportunity to be able to choose to do good with The Bible says this about Jesus, though, who was the richest, who had everything, who had the whole of heaven and all of its resources and could have just kept them for himself. It says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He brought himself low to elevate us. Rich in ways that matter most because they last forever. He spent his time when he came to earth not in the palaces with the most influential who had it all but in places of Poverty with those who had nothing and James remembered that about his brother And so he says I want us to be like my brother in this family James is saying here how we spend our money Demonstrates whether or not we have the family resemblance and which kingdom really matters most to us. I read last week that because of the coronavirus, the world is facing a bigger hunger emergency than ever before in history, which could double the number of people facing acute hunger to 265 million by the end of this year. Get that figure into the end, 265 million, people starving. In Nairobi, Kenya, where I've, I've visited, where I've been to the, the Kibera slum, they brought some emergency rations there just two weeks ago and people were killed in the crush to get some flour and oil. So here at Ivy, over and above what we already give and we're committed to give to our mission partners and everything else that we spend on and all the other ways and things that we give to, we're going to send some money this week to help a church that's feeding people in Kenya that I've connected to through New Thing. We're also going to give some money to a church that uh, that, that we're connected to that we, that we know is safe, good hands in Uganda, where I was told that on top of everything else, there's a plague of locusts has come in there and has wiped everything out. So now the pastors themselves are going hungry as they're feeding starving people can you imagine though that 135 million people around the world were already on the verge of starvation facing acute food shortages but now with this pandemic 130 million more could go hungry in 2020 this was first brought to my attention by my friend Justin Dow who leads compassion uk and if you watched our uh, if you're watching our faith Lifts, he did the one on Wednesday. You can go back and look at that. It was amazing. But they've launched a special appeal that we're also going to contribute to as Ivy. And Justin told us on Wednesday about a brilliant idea that a colleague of his had on who's on furlough. Because, you see, if you're generous like this, you just want to find ways to be able to bless people. So even though you couldn't work for Compassion UK, he's thinking, what can I do to help? And... And actually, you know what? We can always do more together than any one of us could do alone. So stay on the site and and stay on connect with the site as soon as this finishes. And we're going to tell you about what that amazing idea was that is connecting into food banks and invite you to be able to do that. So that's a bit you can do specifically. And we as a church are going to give financially to the Trussell Trust, who last year gave $1.6 three-day food parcels to people in crisis in the UK through their 1,200 food banks. Because the question is not, should we do this or should we do that? The answer is both, both and. See, Justin said, when I was talking to him, he didn't tell me about compassion, he just started telling me about how much they love the Trussell Trust, because they know that after churches and other organizations might step up and do their own food bank thing now, in responding for a bit, but then that'll fizzle out. Trust Trust will continue. That's why we always look for and want to choose strategic partners who will continue to help. Who won't just do it out of a knee-jerk kind of adrenaline thing, but will act like a body and consistently keep a heartbeat going that makes a difference. That's why we love to have our mission partners and to continue to support them as a church. We want to work with trusted partners who keep on helping come rain or shine. It's like Ivy, Barnabas here in the city worked with um, with the homeless, amazing charity. We've given to them for years in various ways. Uh, we've already given extra to them this year, 3,000 pounds. And just before the close down, I went in and spoke there and I spoke with all, the, all these homeless guys who'd come in and I got introduced and uh, Neil, who was in charge of it, said, now this is Anthony, he's from Ivy, which is the church that does the sandwiches that we eat here. And they all started nodding and clapping and, and and they were like so responsive. And afterwards I said to him, sorry, Neil, did, So you said Ivy is the church that gives that does the sandwiches. Did you mean to say we're a church that does the sandwiches? And he said, no, 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 you're the church that does the sandwiches. He says there's others that have had a go and then stopped and sometimes they'll do it and sometimes they don't. But there's only, the, it's only Ivy that has consistently done it. People like Jane Hawes have just kept going just kept on doing it and encouraging other people. When people have moved on, she just said, can you do it? No, you can contact us and you can do that and be part of that consistent helping to make sandwiches for the homeless. And we're giving money to it too. It's not either or. It should never be either or. It's both and. And we can do so much more together. That's why we invite you to give to Ivy. Not just because we believe it's biblical, which it is. Not just because it shows that you're part of this church, which it does but because when you give to Ivy, you really do give through Ivy in ways that you don't know all about, and you can't imagine them all, but you're giving to so many missions and so many organizations and so many individuals, and we couldn't even tell you about lots of them because it's private, and I hope you get that. So together, we can do so much more than any one of us could ever dream of doing alone. It's like J. John says, one snowflake on its own is soon going to disappear, but you get a bunch of them together, and you can stop the traffic. So, in addition to the mission partners that we support and all the other things that we do, IV elders have agreed to give over and above to help the poor right now, because that's what the Lord wants us to do. We're going to give to those in extreme poverty, the church in Kenya, the church, the pastors there in Uganda, we're going to give to Compassion UK's COVID-19 appeal too, because everything's so much harder for the poor right now. And the risk and the fear and the life and death realities are all exacerbated. So, the most vulnerable people in the world, the children, have got no safety net. If the parents can't work due to mandatory isolation, the families can't eat. And, compassion, no, to help churches that they partner with in 25 nations to supply, to get hygiene, health, stability, housing security, and food. That's what will continue to help. And we're giving to the Trussell Trust, who have 20 food banks here in Manchester, because there's so many people in the UK who are struggling right now, with the economic picture so gloomy for them. see, And it is for you. You might feel like it is for you. Well, guess what? We always have the choice between fear and generosity. And at Ivy, we always want to choose generosity and to trust our God. We also are going to give to revolution youth, Many Ivy people have already been working with to provide and to help the families on Withenshaw. They've been giving 1,500 meals a week and essential items too to families, plus hot cooked meals on top of that. So, in total, what you what you've already given to Ivy, we're going to be giving another ten thousand pounds across those different uh, projects that are all helping the poor, whom God has chosen. A few verses from the book. Of Proverbs then we we'll go back to James and then we're going to pray and worship Proverbs 28 verse 27 says he that gives to the poor shall not lack that's a promise but he that hides his eyes somebody says oh I didn't see that uh, I, I didn't want to get involved I don't need to get involved I don't have to look at that. I don't like looking at that I don't like looking at those starving kids don't like that turn it over shall have many a curse don't turn off so soon There's a promise for you to be generous there. God says, I will replenish you. I will pay you back. I will give it right back. I will put it right back. And there's a warning too, if we hide our eyes from the plight of the poor that we know about. Proverbs 29, verse 7. The righteous considers, thinks about the case, the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not regard it. It's like a wicked person just doesn't want to know. That's a sign to God that you are wicked. A righteous person would never say, I'm not interested. You know, look after number one is what a wicked person says. But you know what that makes you? A number two. Proverbs 31, verse 20, describes a godly woman and it says she stretches out her hands to the poor. She reaches forth her hands to the needy. She demonstrates with those hands the heart of God. She's the hands and feet of God when she stretches out to the poor because she has his heart. Now, let's get back to James because I just want to wonder what's your favorite prejudice? Maybe you're somebody with less and you judge people with more That's the way in which you do. You always judge a rich person and say they must be evil. It's not necessarily so. You make assumptions based upon your prejudices. Oh, it might be different prejudices that we have. Or you might say, I haven't got any prejudices. Well, what about your preferences? See, nowadays in church, we might not prefer somebody based upon their gold rings, but they might have like a golden voice. And so they've got a great voice, so of course they get to sing in the band. Of course, when you're getting their prominence up the front because of their evident musical gifts, but what about their character? What about if they're divisive? What about if they're negative? What if they're always pulling others down? What if they're negative about the leadership of the church? What if, what if they just pull others around them and, and form little groups and negative? See, character trumps gifts every single time. And here's the problem, sometimes we get so dazzled by the externals, too often it takes time and it takes the spiritual gift of discernment for character to be revealed or given away. There's an amazing book by a guy called Malcolm Gladwell called Blink, and in it he says, actually, we all do make judgments and we make them all the time. He calls it thin slicing, we have to do it, we just have to make these judgments about people. You can't make a, an individual decision about everything all the time, we run patterns But if that's true, how is it possible to become judges, to not become judges with evil thoughts? Well, nowadays, we might not prefer somebody because, sorry, in the book, he talks about a test of preferences, a practical way that you can do this that will help you not to turn your preferences into a prejudice. If you can Google this or write it down later, Harvard Implicit Association Test, measures your unconscious attitudes. The most famous test on there, there's lots of them, is about race. I decided to put myself to the test 10 years ago or so when I first read the book. And, it, and you have all these faces that come up, pictures, and they could be black or they could be white. And it's how quickly you ascribe a positive word or a negative word to the people and the faces that you see on it. And what this showed was that I have an unconscious, moderate preference for white people over black people. Now, some of you are judging me, so stop have stopped judging me for having that. Because actually it turns out about 80% of people in would, who took the test would have that preference too, including many black people who still have an unconscious preference for white people. See, it's like, what words do you necessarily quickly ascribe to people judging by their external appearances? And remember, this is unconscious. This is an unconscious preference. It's the summary of all the books and all the films and conversations that I've had and the family that I was brought up in. And I wasn't even aware of it. So, I, how do I change that? Not by telling myself not to be racist, that doesn't work. Guilt doesn't work. But if people they found were shown images of of speeches of Martin Luther King Jr, or or exposed to uh, to Nelson Mandela, then they took the test, it was completely different. And what this really shows is automatic stereotypes disappear when we meet real people, when we can connect with them. And the main way that you change your mind and break your prejudices is you meet and connect with people who are different, and you see them as people, not as types. The the world is different and people are different and that's great and it's wonderful. Imagine a world full of Anthony Delaney's. Or oh, what would planet you look like? Would you want to live there really? See, God loves to, to paint the world using every colour and shade and it never is black and white. Years ago, I've talked about this before, in a moment in the chapel at St. John's College when I was training to be a minister, I was really convicted by the Holy Spirit about a deep-seated racism that I didn't even know was there. And God, the Holy Spirit just broke me for hours. I couldn't leave the chapel and go to lectures because I was so convicted by that. And God dealt with an aspect of my heart that I didn't even want to admit or let anybody see was there. Why was I so convicted? Because James said, discriminating against somebody else is on the basis of, of what they look like or on the basis of the color of their skin, Breaks God's heart and breaks God's royal law. James says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin. And are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Some of you remember the time Jesus was once asked by an expert in the law to sum up the whole of the Bible and all of the commandments and everything else in there. There's a lot of them. He said this, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. He said it as like one thing altogether. It wasn't like divided into two. It was like, this is it. Like you can't divide the two. The Bible says, I can't say I love God who I can't see, but I don't love you who I can see. It doesn't work like that. Well, I, that's just it's just a preference. It's just a little thing, you know. I, I, and I try and find ways to justify myself. But if you watched last week, we said God's law is like a mirror. And if you break it in one place, the whole thing is broken that's why we need grace that's why we all need the Lord and I want to invite you to pray with me to him now because here's what God is like our glorious Lord Jesus Christ even though every single one of us watching right now has made snap decisions wrong decisions faulty assumptions has got our own favorite prejudices that even though we might say, well, I was just a joke and it was, you know, I wasn't, I didn't mean anything by it, or it's just the way I was brought up and I'm sure it's fine, it's not right. And the difference, it just shows the difference between us and God. And if God was taking that test and these and faces were coming up on the screen in front of him, here's what would happen this is what God would do. No matter what face appears on the screen, automatically God's word would be love, 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 love. And that includes you and me, thank God. Love, love, love. When your face flashes up before God, no matter what you've said, thought, or done. Love, love, love. No matter how many things I've done wrong, love. No matter ways I've got it wrong, love. He says, I love you. I forgive you. I want you to be in my family forever. And I want you to help me grow that family so everybody gets in. So let's pray. Just imagine your face appearing before the Lord. Imagine he sees you and you've got no need to be ashamed or afraid because the word that he wants to write all over you is love. Ask that he would imprint that word on your heart, write it, engrave it upon your heart so that it changes how I see me and how I see everybody else that I'm going to interact with this week. Just imagine the word love written all over them. And this is how we change the world. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.